Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the voice of the Nazarene. Boy, the music was incredible this morning. And I'd like to sing in that group, but they don't want me. There's <laughs> well, a couple others of you they don't want either. <laughs> but the others weren't here this morning. Thanks for being here. Um, we're, we've been on a prayer series, and I'm glad that I did. And I hope that God will use this to uh, build our spiritual fiber, our character, and strengthen our moral plasma, and we can be all that God desires. Uh, one of the uh, themes that we've had is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort you that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, be made for all men. The giving of thanks be made to all men. And so first of all, prayer. Prayer ought to be first on our agenda. We went from that to uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 4 where Peter was kept in prison. The king had put him in prison with chains, guards, closed, locked doors. Christ had been crucified by Herod, and uh, James, the half-brother, had been executed. And now Peter's locked up, and and it said uh, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made. Prayer was made. Our bracelets were supposed to have been here, and they missed our delivery, and we'll have them next week. We'll give them out to you, a little rubber uh, bracelets. Prayer was made. I want you to wear those. Think about it every time you do. Make a prayer. But prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God for him, and God delivered him. We went from that to uh, prayer and fasting, and we pointed out out of the 58th chapter of Isaiah's account about prayer and about fasting. Fasting is the giving up of some things to the flesh, whether it's things that we like, like television, like social media, uh, break away from it for a little bit, or whether it be uh, on our diet, giving up food. But Isaiah mentioned also sharing our food with the needy. I think next Sunday will be our last Sunday to bring bring in food, non-perishable, I would encourage us, let's make one last great drive and buy some extra canned goods and bring it in and put them on the the two tables back in the grand foyer. It's always about others. It's never about just us. Now we want to go into 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and catch verse 9. And it reads like this, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. I listened to his prayer. He said, oh, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that that thy hand be with me and that thou wouldst keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Do you notice that one line, and that's not my sermon, but that one line, he said, keep me from evil that, that it may not grieve me, may not grieve me. Can I just say to you, there's a sermon right there, 
May I just say to you, when we get too close to evil and begin to associate with it, if we're not careful, we get soiled. We can get stained. We can be dirtied uh, by evil things, by sin. And he was simply saying, I I don't want to get soiled and stained with all of that junk and leave me grieved. May I just say to you, God gave us a Bible not to do something to you, but he gave you a Bible so he could do something for you. Now, God granted that which he had requested. What a, what a great answer to a, a great prayer. Let me talk to you about Jabez today. The uh, first nine chapters in First Chronicles happens to be genealogies. So-and-so begets so-and-so, and he begets so-and-so, and they begets so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so and on and on it goes. And right in the very heart of that is this fourth chapter. And over 600 names are listed in these genealogies. Now, in the very heart of that, chapter 4, verse 9, it talks about this guy by the name of Jabez, and it says some things about this man named Jabez. Doesn't say anything about his profession. I don't know whether he shoot horses or shoot away the, the fleas. I don't know. But nothing about his profession, nothing about his personality. It doesn't mention anything about his progenity, offspring, his kids, nothing like that, nothing said. But it does mention the fact of one of his prayers. He prayed a prayer. He had a prayer life. And you need to know several things. Jabez was a person, a real person. And it even mentioned, never mentions who his father was, nor if he had any children, but he was a person in this long list of 600 mentioned, he was a name and he was a person. Not only a person, Jabez had a pain. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. So his name meant pain. Do you know most of us have had a pain in our life? Something that's grieved us, something that's hurt us and It's affected us through our years. It may be a mistake that we made in youth. It uh, may be a mishap. It may just be what life handed to you. It may be your past. It it may be something about your physical stature or something. And so he had some pains in life. But not only that, in spite of that, Jabez had a place. A town was named after him according to 1 Chronicles Chapter 2, verse 55, and the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez. Isn't that interesting? And the JFB commentary says the Jewish writers affirmed that he was an eminent doctor of the law. And there was something about him that drew in all the scribes, and they lived in this town called Jabez. Now, if that be true, if that's accurate, then we gain an understanding of just how honorable Jabez was. But not only was Jabez a person, and not only did he have this place, but you need to understand he turned his life around with a prayer. Four things I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see that things started out bad for him. How do you know that? Well, the Bible said in verse 9 that he was given this name Jabez. Wouldn't you hate to run around with a name that meant pain? And every time you walked up, people would say, there's pain. My boy had had surgery down at the children's hospital when he was 15. They opened him up, and, and uh, he's, he's lying there in the bed, tubes running in him. He's about half out, and a young doctor came in. Of course, you understand uh, those hospitals down there, uh, 
the students that are studying for medical science, nurses and doctors. A young doctor came in and said, my name is Dr. Payne. Roger said, don't touch me then. <laughs> so <laughs> his name meant Payne. Kind of reminds me of the, uh, of the guy that uh, he lost his dog. So he put out a sign that said, lost dog, blind in one eye, three-legged, right ear is missing, broken tail, lately castrated, and he goes by the name of Lucky. <laughs> now, I don't know how the name Lucky would fit, but here's, a, here's Jabez, or his name meant pain, and that's the label that he's been given. And maybe you've been given a label. Maybe people have a name for you. I don't know. Maybe they call you Shorty. Maybe they call you obese, you know, fatty, fatty, two before, couldn't get through the kitchen door. Maybe, maybe it's divorcee. Maybe it's bankrupt. I don't know what name maybe somebody is laid. Maybe bus kid or from the other side of the tracks, fornicator. I don't know. Maybe you've been given a label and it's sad to think that People have been given a label. He was given a label, and he had to live with it. You say, well, pastor, what do you do when people limit your life by giving you a label? How do you overcome a label? Well, I'll tell you what Jabez did. He prayed. That's what he did. He prayed. He prayed first. He made a, he made a prayer. So I want to say to you, things started out very bad for him, given this name, Jabez. And perhaps things have started out bad for you. And the second thing I want you to see, your past does not have to define you. Verse 9 says that Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. That tells me that he didn't come from the very best family. You and I don't get much choice about what family we're born into. It may be that some of your siblings have done some awful things. It could be that your mom walked out on you. It could be that dad wasn't much and pretty rough to you. He came from a, a family that wasn't the best. Can I ask you something? Do you know anybody that was born on first base, but they spend the rest of their life like they hit a triple? You can't judge people's success by what they've accomplished. You judge people's success by what they have had to overcome in which to be successful. That's what you judge by. So he may have not come from the best family, but I know this. Evidently, his family didn't think much of him, but he had, he had a genealogy. And in going down through all of those nine chapters of genealogy, all he had to do was look back, and back here in that second chapter, and back, our third chapter, and in verse 1, in studying his genealogy, he found that not only did his family not accept him, but he read about another guy that he was related to who his family didn't believe in him either, and his name was David, chapter 3, verse 1. And when Samuel went down to Jesse's house to anoint a new king, or the next king, he asked for, to see his boys, and Jesse paraded all seven of his boys in front of him, and God shook his head, and so Samuel said, no. He said, I'm sure God sent me here. Is this every boy you've got? He said, well, I got a run of a son, and he, he, all he does is keep sheep. 
He's not a warrior. He's not, not going to be a leader. He's just a, a shepherd boy. All his family saw in David was just a shepherd boy, but God saw a king. God saw a king. And Samuel said, you bring him. Can I give you a quote by William Carey? He said, your future, my future is as bright as the promises of God. Don't let anything else define you. Don't let a bad start mess you up. Your future is as big as the promises of God. So his future started out bad. His past doesn't have to define you. And there's something else I want to point out. He prayed a prayer, only 33 words. Wasn't a filibuster, was it? I read about Elijah when he prayed down fire from heaven. He, his prayer was about 80-some words, not much, but it was enough that he got an answer. And he prayed this short little prayer, and D.L. Moody said, I never prayed long prayers, but I never went long without a prayer. And the fourth thing I want you to see, he got results when he prayed, verse 10. God granted him that which he requested. Now, four things real quick about the prayer. And, of course, you know that he said, God, that you would bless me and, and uh, God, that you would enlarge my coast and keep me from evil and keep your good hand upon me. Four things I want you to see that he prayed. His prayer, first of all, was personal. He said, God, bless me. Now, I've always been of the mindset as a boy growing up that I was never supposed to pray much about myself. I was supposed to pray for everybody else. But you know it's hard to get everybody else blessed if God doesn't bless your own life. And he prayed a, a prayer, God bless me. Now he never was a hero of the faith. He never got his name in Hebrews chapter 11, but God heard his prayer. God, would you bless me? And this is all I'm going to say. God wants to bless you too. You're as important to God as Jabez was. And God is not an angry God. God's not hoping you'll mess up. He's not sending the FBI, the fat boys of Indiana, after you. God's a good father. And I've been looking into this word blessing. He said, God, that you would bless me. And think about blessing. Apparently, God wants to bless us. So I got to looking that word blessing up. And I found it was listed 330 times in the Old Testament. So I don't see anything wrong with getting blessed. I don't see anything wrong with having God to bless my life. If he blessed others, I'd just kind of like to get in on it with your permission. So what does blessing mean? Blessing means supernatural favor of God, that God wants to bless us. So I started studying the blessings of God, and I found the very first blessing ever given by God is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, and you know the first thing that God blessed was the creatures of the sea. I found that intriguing. I mean, I'm glad God blessed the grouper and glad God blessed the shrimp and God blessed the flounder. And occasionally I go to Red Lobster and I let them bless me. But God blessed the creatures of the sea, and I don't know if you ever thought about this. When the flood came and the curse fell, the only animal spared were those that got on the ark. All the rest were destroyed, except for the creatures of the sea. They were not under the curse. And did you know that when Jesus was resurrected in his resurrected body, he ate two things. He ate honey and fish. Did you know honey will never spoil? 
It can turn to sugar, but you put the heat on and it'll be right back to honey again. That's that way in your life if you're full of honey. If you turn to sugar and the heat gets on, it'll turn right back to honey again. You don't get sour and bitter. And Jesus ate fish, fish that had never been cursed. Did you know the sign of Christianity is the sign of the fish? Just throwing that your way. He said God created great whales, every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. God saw it was good, and God blessed them. Now, what do you mean? Well, I'm simply saying God created the world, the rocks, the reels, the holes, the hills, the birds, the bees, and the flowers of the trees. And then God created man. And guess what? God blessed his creation of mankind. Genesis 1, 27, so God created man as his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female create Create he them, and God blessed them. That's the first thing God did for them. Now, how did Jesus begin his ministry? He began it with nine beatitudes. How did he begin his ministry? With nine blessings. Read it again. It's a great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And before he went away to heaven, he said to his disciples, there's one last thing I'd like to do for you. And he called them together, and in Luke 24, 50, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And then it came to pass that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. He wanted to bless his disciples, and he wants to bless his disciples today, you and I. He wants to bless us with a testimony. I hope you'll use it. He wants to bless your treasury. He wants to bless you with talent. Many of you have talent. Are you using your talent that he blessed you with? He wants to bless your time on earth. He wants to bless us uh, with a net worth, and he wants to bless our personality, and God just wants to bless us. Now, why does God bless me? I'm glad you ask. Well, Genesis 12 tells you. He blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. Now I'm going to do a little repeat. God simply blesses you because he wants you to bless others, to be a blessing. And I was trying to tell you the other day that God blessed you so not just that you can have a higher standard of living, but you can have a higher standard of giving. I don't know if you've ever got in on this whole thing of tithing and giving, but I, I'm not hammering on anybody. I just find it to be a blessing because when I honor God on it, God helps to make me a financier of his kingdom. Remember thy kingdom come? He wants us to be kingdom people. He wants us to find the kingdom purpose. He wants to put us to work in the kingdom, and he wants to use you and I. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And God blessed you, not with just you in mind, but he had others in mind as well. Here's a great quote. We shouldn't fear failure, but we ought to fear succeeding at things in life that don't matter. Why do we want to be so successful with things that don't even matter? I mean, you spend your life climbing the ladder only to find the ladders leaning against the wrong wall. You made this and you acquired that, but you're against the wrong wall, and it's not kingdom. So his prayer was personal, Lord, bless me. And then his prayer was professional. Look at what he said, enlarge my coast, verse 10 of chapter 4. What's he saying? He's saying, expand my 
influence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I found this prayer, I began to make it a prayer of my life. Those four things. I started praying it. When I started praying this prayer, I didn't have a clue of anything about upward basketball, upward football that we have that more than a thousand people come out on the weekends when those games are played. They come through our church doors that would never be inside these buildings. When I started praying this prayer, I had no idea of Sunshine Preschool, but God laid it on my heart a long time ago. I gathered a few people that began to believe what God was saying to me, and now we've got a beautiful ministry to the children and the parents of children in this local area with Sunshine Preschool and Child Care. When I began to pray this prayer, I had no concept of ever having other campuses. When I begin to pray this prayer and say, God, enlarge my coast, I had not, not a clue that we'd ever get out of that event center and build that grand foyer in this beautiful edifice that we're gathered in. When I begin to pray that prayer, God, enlarge our coast, I had not an idea of the internet and Facebook and live stream. And you cannot believe the people that watch all, every service live stream. We had a wonderful fellow here last week. First time he's been here, but been watching for a long time and sending finances for this ministry, watching live stream. They're all over the country. I had not a clue when I began to pray this prayer and enlarge our coast that God would give us the network on television that we have. And may I just be on record this morning as to say God has blessed us indeed. He's enlarged our coast. And not me and not us, but it's for his glory. Now, once in a while when I'm out driving, I, I notice a restaurant. One of those is Chick-fil-A. If you have never heard of Chick-fil-A, the chickens have. Chick-fil-A generally has a big line around, and people are sitting there in line waiting to get their turn to get the food. I'd encourage you, it may take a little bit, but you'll be glad you got in that line. You'll get fed. And if you'd get in line around this church, you'll soon find this ministry will feed you as well. Now, I know it's a long line, and I, I'm a kind of an impatient guy. I don't mean to be. When I put something in the microwave, I wish you'd hurry up. I guess the best thing I'm going to like is the rapture. Zoom, we're out of here. Don't like to wait. But... Chick-fil-A, they got a great chicken. Did you know that they almost didn't make it? Did you know they just about folded? Mr. Truett, a Christian man that was behind the organization, in 1982 gathered his leaders together and investors together in a hotel and said, it looks like we're going to have to close our stores. We're, we're hurting. We've tried to slash salaries, tried to slash spending and and uh, we're done every cutback we know, and it looks like we're not going to make it. And what happened? Shopping malls, the construction of shopping malls begin to cease. And their main revenue was those restaurants in those shopping malls. And he said, gentlemen, we've got to do something. And he said, I, I think we have not sat down and defined what our purpose is. Our purpose is not just to make money. Our purpose is not just to fry fish and 
fry waffles. You know those waffle Not just French fries, but waffle fries. And my model is you fry it, I'll try it. And he said, what is our purpose? He said, we're not leaving the motel till we figure out our purpose. And he said, this is the purpose we're going to have. Our corporate purpose is to glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that he's entrusted to us and have a positive influence on all who come into contact with Chick-fil-A. So it's not just about building an organization. It's not just about building an empire and how much money we can acquire. What's what's our purpose? And he said, when we established our purpose to glorify God, he said, suddenly God expanded our influence. He said, enlarge my coast. Now, if you're a business person, just let me talk to you. The rest of you will set the alarm clock and you wake up in a minute. If you really want to know a little bit about how to glorify God in the business. Let me just say this to you. It'll revolutionize you. You'll follow this principle. It's Luke chapter 5. Read the first four verses and catch what's going on. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake, which was the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake with the fishermen were going out of them, and they are washing their nets. Now, they'd been fishing. Hadn't caught a thing. That was their business. They provided for their family by how many fish they pulled in. It had been a bad night. They'd toiled all night and caught nothing, the Bible said. They're washing their nets. They're about done. They're thinking about bankruptcy. Then look what happened. Jesus entered into one of their ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And then he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now here's the crowd so great, thousands on the shore. As that ship moves out, he sits down and his voice is amplified. The greatest, um, what's that word I'm trying to think of? The greatest acoustics is out on water. Your voice will carry on water, sometimes up to a mile. And he's speaking to that crowd from the ship and Then he left speaking, and he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon is doing business. It's business as usual. But I think it helps when you got Jesus in the business, on the boat. And Jesus says, cast off from the shore. And he used this for amplification. He's sitting there, and he's teaching them. And when Simon realized that his little business was really about Jesus' big business, his business began to change. When you follow biblical principles and you're guided by the Word of God and say, I want my business to influence, impact, and prosper because I want to bless. And when he realized my business is not about my business, but my little business is about his big business, then when Jesus gets in our business, it enlarges our coast. And it says in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish. Broke their nets, fact of the matter. And the next thing he says, I'm talking about Jabez, keep your good hand upon me. His prayer was for God's presence. Now, if you read the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in the earth. And he's blameless, upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil. Does God, does Job fear God? For nothing, Satan replied. 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks, herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch forth your hand, your hand, God, and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The blessing, ladies and gentlemen, is in the hand of God. If God's hand is not on you, you don't have his blessings. I don't care how big the church is, if it don't have the hand of God on it, it lacks the anointing of God. The Bible says, fear the Lord. My great fear is not that God's hand will hit me in revenge. My great fear is that God will just take his hand away. And I don't have the hand of God on my life and on my family and on this church and on this ministry. I want his anointing. We're destined to fail without the good hand of God. And the next thing he said, keep me from evil. His prayer was for protection. Keep me from evil because the enemy's coming after me. No wonder the writer in the New Testament, be sober, be vigilant because the devil, like a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. We have an enemy. Tozer said, the spirit-filled church is a target for the devil. May I say that a Christian spirit-filled is also a target for the devil. So if you're minding God, keep watch on your family. Keep watch on your influence. Keep watch on your children. David was a man after God's own heart. He's the only man the Bible ever said that about. Listen to what he said in Psalm 3.1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him. And David came to realize this. But thou, O Lord, art a shield to me, my glory, the lifter up of my head. He realized the only protection he had was the Lord God. Jesus taught us a prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because... The evil one wants to destroy us. Because if he can destroy you and me, it disgraces the Father. If he can destroy you and if he can destroy me, it'll discourage the saints. If he can destroy you and destroy me, then it drives away the lost. And if he can destroy you and destroy me, it delights the devil. We need the hand of God's protection, don't we? I want to close with this, Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3. And he shall be like a tree. What's the next word? Planted. Whatever you do, walk out of here thinking that. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He shall be like a tree planted. And the Greek or the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for planted meant planted. But here the Greek word is not the same as it is all the rest of the way through the Old Testament. Here the word is a little different in the Greek or in the Hebrew. And instead of meaning planted, it means trans. Planted. Any of you ever do a transplant of some plant? Transplanted? Let me explain this. Here's that tree right over here. It's not doing well. Leaves are falling off. It's destined to die. It's no blooms, no blossoms. 
It produces no fruit, and you can tell it's beginning to wither. But somebody comes along, and they spot that tree, and they know the potential of that tree, and they care about the tree. And like a caretaker, they go over to that tree, and they dig it up from that location where it's dying, and they transplant it over here by the river of life. And suddenly it gets new nutrients, and it begins to pull in that life-giving water, and the soil is richer, and it begins to blossom and bloom, and the next thing you know, it's producing fruit. Friend, that's you, and that's me. God saw us over there where we were about to die in our sins, where we weren't producing. God saw us just as a non-productive tree, and God transplanted and moved us from there over to here. We who used to be in sin, our mouth full of curse words, our mind full of evil thoughts, selfish, living for self, and he transplants us over to where he's blessed us. No longer are we standing in the way of sinners. We're not sitting with a scornful, guess where we are? We've been blessed. And Jabez gets in on that blessing that you would bless me Indeed, there I was with nothing, and now I have everything. And I want you to walk out of the building this morning realizing that God spotted you and cares about you enough that he's transplanted you. And if you haven't been transplanted, he wants to transform and transplant your life and change you on the inside and outside and in every way and move you from one place to another. Look at some of us. We're gathered from all kinds of backgrounds. Some of us came from churches that never even heard the word salvation, never heard any concept about being born again. And God has brought us all in here together, some excited, some not quite as excited. And God puts us all together and unites us together, and he helps us with the purpose of the kingdom. He gives us a vision of kingdom work. He wants us to be financiers of the kingdom, and he wants us to begin to realize there's lost people out yonder, and we need to start transplanting those folk from out yonder in here into the kingdom. And I want you to catch an eye full of the vision of God, see the lost where they're at, and let's get them out of that non-productive life and get them over here into the kingdom. Will you join me on that, Father? We thank you for... Thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's Pastor Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BusirisNazarene.org.